Yo, welcome back to another episode of Scholarships. My name is Larry Alexander, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tone Gaines. Um, you know, with this thing that we're calling scholarships, there are at least three outcomes that we're trying to drive. The first is really around exposure. Uh, the second is around creating a safe space uh, for scholars to have authentic conversation. And the third piece really is uh, the education piece. And today's episode will focus on education around uh, financial planning and life insurance and things of that nature. Um, and this one hits home for me primarily because I'm sick and tired of uh, seeing things on Facebook that that suggest that all uh, forms of life insurance and financial advisors are scammers and, and things of that nature, because it's simply not true. Uh, and then the other piece is really just around um, all the GoFundMe accounts that have to be launched when someone passes away. And I guess some of that is unavoidable. Uh, some A lot of that is circumstance. Uh, but to the extent we can have more folks uh, solve for the fact that we're all going to die one day, um, the better, right? And so to help us with that conversation, we've invited a friend of ours from college onto the show today, Lupita Avalos. She's a financial advisor in the Milwaukee area. And really, we're going to turn it over to her uh, to help us with this conversation. Now, I should say, hey, like, this is not financial advice. This is not legal advice. She is not your financial advisor yet. You know, we are not your attorneys. And so uh, just take this information, uh, share it, uh, consume it, uh, sit with it, uh, but just don't rely on it. All right. All right. So with that, I'll turn it over to Lupita. Yeah. Thank you, Larry. Um, and Tone, again, thanks for having me and for asking me to be a part of this project, this podcast overall. Um, so I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, South Side to be specific, a product of MPS. I say that loud and proud. Um, also a product of TRIO programs. Uh, for those that don't know, those are federally funded programs um, that really, they're the reason for my educational experience overall. Um, my parents are from Mexico. Uh, my mom was one of the first in her family to migrate over. So uh, first gen, um, the youngest of three, uh, but the first to um, graduate from, from college and earn a degree. So I'm very proud of that as well. I am um, now an advisor, a financial advisor, where I help people essentially build long-term financial plans and plan for the unplanned um, for, for families, individuals, and small business owners, primarily uh, black and brown in our community who lack that education and need it. So what, one part that I wanted to talk about is just your upbringing. Just tell us about your family and tell us about, you know, what schools you went to in Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, my parents came to this country. Um, my mom specifically had $8 to her name. Um, and she started in North Carolina, um, saw that was during the time where like things were going down. Um, a lot of racism was going down. She saw a lot, freaked out, had a friend in Wisconsin who told her, Hey, come here. And that was during the uh, manufacturing, um, times where like there are a lot of industrial jobs available. So her first job was a chocolate factory on the South side of Milwaukee. It's still there right on, um, it's like 36 and national or something like that. And, um, she just, grinded, you know, like she just put in the work and started to build and do what she could for that American dream. Um, met my dad. I'm the youngest of three. Um, so my brother and sister are actually 17 years older than I am. Um, and uh, she left them in Mexico until she could save up enough and uh, create stability to bring them here as well. So they were born in Mexico also. Um, here, she met my dad. Um, they pretty much worked until, um, they could grow their 401ks big enough 
to liquidate that and buy the first home that that I grew up in and that I was born into. Um, so growing up, that's all I saw were my parents just hustling and grinding and doing what they could to uh, make ends meet. Uh, meanwhile, when I was born, I was actually born with a lot of health issues. Um, I was in and out of the hospital for probably the first six years of my life. Um, was tube fed, believe it or not, um, for the first six years of my life as well. So um, because of that, my mom could no longer work a full time job. Like my my dad brought the bread home, and my mom stayed home with me. That uh, was attentive to my doctor's appointments. Um, sometimes I was on machines all night long at home. Um, so she became like my full time caretaker for the first six years of my life. I wasn't I didn't have a normal childhood. Uh, there were teachers going to the hospital to like bring me homework so that I didn't have to um, fail, you know, or stay behind a grade. Um, and I think that kind of is a part of what made me into a diligent, hardworking student once I was in in school pursuing my education. Um, so. Fast forward, um, my dad actually got into some trouble, uh, ended up getting deported and left my mom um, by herself, right, with a, a mortgage, uh, three kids to raise. And because I still had some lingering medical issues, she ended up having to find just like part time gigs that she could do at her own time. Um, so she had she did hair. She would cut hair from a bedroom in her home. Um, she did catering services and then she eventually started her own cleaning business, um, which she still does and has done for the last 20 years. Um, so she was an entrepreneur, uh, because by force, right? Because she had to kind of figure out how to make money around me and my needs. Um, well, I surpassed all of that. I became healthy, obviously. And, um, uh, I think that, that, was a seed that was planted in me where it's like, okay, I got this opportunity. Um, now I have to, I have to work hard. I have to make sure I can come back and give my mom, you know, the life she deserves. And um, that's where I think my perseverance came from. Um, so in high school, I was always a good student. I was very involved and I worked as soon as I was 14 years old. I, I always had a job um, since high school and uh, at Marquette, I had three jobs. Um, some of you remember I was driving the Marquette limos mm -hmm. and <laughs> I would walk to the library after I got off at four in the morning, finish a paper and then go straight to class. So I was pulling all nighters like crazy, um, wearing the same clothes two days in a row. But like whatever it took for me, it wasn't, you know, am I ever going to graduate? It's like, oh, I'm going to graduate. I just don't know when, you know, with Riverside, I was introduced to Upper Bound at UW-Milwaukee. Um, and so Upper Bound was a pre-college program for first-gen, low-income minority students in high school. And what I did was through the program every summer, they would put us in classes that would prepare us for the year, the upcoming year, so that we had kind of like a leg up. And it was essentially to like make sure we were on track for college. Um, and so they would take us on these college tours in the summertime, um, pay us a stipend, we'd have classes, tutoring, like it was, it was a fun time and I learned a lot. And that's where I met my advisor. Um, so around junior, senior year, when it's time to take like the ACT, fill out FAFSA and apply for colleges, um, I had an advisor through that program that helped us with that. We took courses on it because back home, my mom had no idea what FAFSA meant or what it was, where to start with scholarships. Um, I knew that we didn't have tuition money. So um, you know, we, we didn't know that was brand new to my entire family. Um, so thankfully for that program, 
they um, guided me in that right direction. And I did everything, you know, I was told for the colleges I thought I would get into. Marquette was not one of them. So towards the end um, of me submitting applications and all, uh, my advisor said, you, you, she asked me, you know, you applied for Marquette, right? And I laughed at her and said, no, why would I do that? She's like, why not? For me, Marquette was like prestigious, luxurious, like that wasn't for me. Yeah, like, no, just, same thing for me when I was in, when I was right? at, uh, when I was at Custard, I remember telling my friends I was applying to Marquette and they were like, you're not rich or white, bro. So, and I right. was just like, and that's honestly what I thought it was too. I was like, yeah. <laughs> No, not. Yeah. yeah. So she started it for me. She started the application. She's like, oh, you're applying. I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, whatever. And so she had it, had she not put like pen to paper, I probably never would have, Marquette would have not been a part of my world. Um, and then I had a letter in the mail, you know, fast forward that I got in and I was getting acceptance letters because I got good grades. I took AP courses. I was very involved. Um, but Marquette came in and I um, couldn't believe it. You know, I got in, but then it was one of the few colleges that um, weren't going to give me as much money as the other public colleges were. Um, so for me, I, I thought, no, you know, it's too much. And there's these other colleges like Minnesota that they were offering me full rides um, because I was low income first gen minority, you know. Um, and my brother was the one who said, you got into Marquette like you're going there. That's, that's a big name. Figure out the rest later. Like you're, you have to go. That's a big deal. And so um, my mom also didn't want me to go away because she was worried about my health issues. Um, so I went to Marquette and also because of my upper bound experience got into EOP. Um, automatic. It was like one of those automatic qualifications, which is also a trio program. Um, and thankfully, with their help, you know, I was able to to get through through um, and, and end up there. Now, Marquette was not easy. I cried so much. Um, I graduated in five years. Um, it was a different world. Culture shock. Uh, I went from, you know, breezing through high school with good grades to like failing all my classes at Marquette. Mm -hmm. And feeling like that that hamster in a wheel where I was working hard because I I did that. I always had my ish together. Like I always, um, I was very responsible thanks to my mom. Like I, I partied and I did, I had fun, but I always made sure my stuff was taken care of first. And I did that at Marquette and I was just like failing. Like it was not going well for me. Um, so I struggled a lot. I felt very lonely at Marquette. Um, I also worked two, three jobs at a time while I was there. I commuted, um, I only stayed on campus one year uh, just to have the experience. But the other times I was close to my mom. So I commuted to save money um, and knew I always knew, like, it's not a matter of like, am I going to graduate? It's a matter of like, when? Let's take us back a bit. One thing I was thinking about is uh, when you talked about your dad being deported. And I would imagine like, I mean, your siblings are a bit older. So like, was there mm -hmm. were they still around? Like, I guess because I'm trying to think of you growing up in like your first gen generation, low income, like there's not, and this is my assumption and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's not much guidance, I guess, on what to do besides like school, right? And like, I guess what, what helped you, uh, I guess, vision yourself just getting through like elementary, middle school, high school, like what were you pushing towards or who helped guide you uh, on that way? 
That's a really good question. Um, I knew that, you know, I, I witnessed my parents work hard. I knew my mom came here to give us a better opportunity. Um, I was the only child that was like born in the, in the States and like, you're told, you know, this is what you do. You work hard, you go to college because you'll get to go to college and you can be, you know, become who you want to become. Um, one thing I left out is that because of my medical um, issues in my childhood, I always thought I would come back and be a doctor. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of my issues were um, gastrointestinal related. And so I was tube fed. And so my plan was like, I'm going to study that come back and like help kids again and work in a hospital. And like, I, I looked up to like doctors and nurses that I was around all the time. Um, by the time I got to Marquette, um, I learned that there were 370 other majors I'd never heard of. And so mm -hmm. that changed real quick. Um, but that, that was for me, the big picture was like, well, I knew I had to go to college because I, I get to, and I knew I, that was going to get me to the career to a career that would pay me a lot of money and make me the success my mom wanted me to become for her. My mom was just my why because I saw her hustle and grind so much. Like I wanted her to like chill one day. That was really my main driver. Like your story is incredible. I'm sitting here and I'm like, how did I not know any of that? You know, like it's, it's just crazy. But for conversations, <laughs> you know, but for conversations like this, you know, how do we really get to, to, to be vulnerable and, and know just some of the things that people have faced uh, to get to where they are. I mean, I mean, that's crazy. Like, so when you, when you finally, you know, graduated from Marquette, like, how did it feel? For a while, it was the biggest accomplishment of my life. Like for, for a long time for me, it was like, I did, I made it. I didn't care what job I got afterwards or anything, you know, uh, it was like I, I it was a huge American dream for my mom. Um, I will say so when I just to kind of rewind a little bit, um, when I decided to change my major, when I decided I wasn't going in the medical field after forever seeing it as a kid, um, I remember sitting my mom down at the kitchen table to like confess that I was like changing majors and I was bawling, like just crying, scared as hell, thinking I was going to let her down. And like she freaked out. And after I told her, she was relieved and said that she thought I was going to tell her I was pregnant or something. Um, but she <laughs> laughed at me and she's like, why are you crying? Like, why are you so scared to tell me you're switching majors? And I told her, I'm like, well, I thought you thought I want, you know, I, I was going to be your doctor and be in the medical field. And um, she told me, you know, she grabbed me and she's like, oh, my God. She's like, I, I'm so proud of you. She's like, I don't care what you study. You for me, you already made it. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that you don't realize like how much it means to your parents, like especially first generation kids. Because um, I remember that was like the th maybe the third time in my life I've ever seen my dad cry, and he was just like so proud. Oh. And you don't you don't realize like it, how much what it means to them. Because it's like a I would imagine it's something of like they succeeded too, you know, because they they created you. Um, mm -hmm. As first generation, a lot of times we deal or we see like us changing our major and having that conversation with our parents as like a failure, right? Like we let them down, right? And in reality, I like you said, she just laughed. How did you deal with that, like that uh, anxiety 
I guess, during college of like, I can't I, like you're working three jobs and you're still like showing up to class. You're still, you know, driving, you know, drunk kids like like myself uh, in limos, <laughs> you know, but like, I guess, how did you how did you manage that all throughout? Was it just something that, you know, you're just a, a person of perseverance and you just push through or what, what kept you going? At the beginning, right, when people are like, you made it to Marquette, you have mm -hmm. to go. Like, ever that's the news of the town, right? Like, oh, my mom's telling her friends and all the whole family, I'm Marquette, I'm Marquette. Like, it was a huge deal. And so um, I think that pressure of just like, oh, shoot, like, now I, I can't go back. Yeah, right? like, I can't fail. <laughs> Yo, I cannot <laughs> fail. Yeah. Right? Like that it just it strangles you it's like yup like you better do it cry in the dark if you have to go get extra tutoring whatever it takes because you can't go home and say yeah I dropped out like it's already it's done like you have no choice but to go forward so I think that pressure for me was was like yeah I have no no choice like I didn't have the choice um I also um think that me just that was college was the first time that I really was free of health issues like it was the first time where I was like healthy living like a normal person I no longer had like restrictions like I did before um I never I didn't have like I was getting like tubes and surgeries done all the time and like it was no longer a thing I was like a normal kid um I think that too was a part of my motivation where it's like you're I was given this chance. I was given this opportunity. Like, I can't waste it now. Like, I was given the chance to be normal like I always wanted to be as a kid. So I, I have to I have to do it. One of the main reasons we wanted to talk to you was about uh, financial wellness, which is actually still sort of in, in the health and wellness right. Uh, area, right? Financial wellness. And uh, so talk to us a little bit about uh, your current role. Crazy how life works. Um, I was good where I was at, and uh, the last position I held, um, which was for four years, was a company out of Tampa, Florida. So I worked 100% remote. Um, and I remember at that time, so I'll, I'll mention like two pieces in my life that led to where I'm at today. Um, so that position, um, I, I was good at it, but I started to feel complacent. Uh, I was living in gym clothes at home all the time. And I thought I did not just bust my butt, you know, get this degree, be, become involved in the community. It's, I was attending networking events and all this stuff just to be at home in front of a laptop. So little by little, I started to miss that, like, fulfillment. And um, I was also told, especially by my brother, you know, once we get to go to college, get a degree, you know, once we kind of make it, we have a responsibility to come back to our communities and like be a resource. And so that was always in me too. Like I felt underutilized. Um, I was still going to networking events, but was useless there because when I introduced myself, it's like, oh yeah, I work for this company in Tampa and do nothing for Milwaukee. Like, oh, and, but I went to Marquette, right? And I know Spanish and I'm a first gen student. Like it was, I felt useless. And so in the midst of that, in the last couple of years of Marquette, um, I actually went to through three family deaths. Um, so I lost my niece before her first birthday, um, my closest cousin to me from an accident. And then I also lost my uncle and they were like back to back. 
So this like career crisis is happening that had just happened. Um, okay. So those are like periods in my life. And then um, I was running in to um, who's, this guy who's now my mentor um, that I, that I met in my first job when I was 14. Um, and he was by then and now an advisor, a financial advisor. So while I was at this remote job, um, there are times where I'd go to a colectivo or some coffee shop to just work and get out of the house. I was running into him a lot. And um, the the guy I knew was like, like um, this scrawny kid with braces, like baggy jeans and long t-shirt dude. And I was seeing him in like a suit. He was, he looked super successful, was thriving. Um, and little by little was kind of like in my ear about um, the company and like becoming a finance, that he was a financial advisor and possibly exploring that career. When I heard financial right away, I'm like, Ugh, no, like I don't know any anything to do with that industry. Um, I wasn't good at math. Like, what do you mean? Um, so I just kind of like blew him off. But then um, three years went by and I ran into him again. And that was when I had kind of hit my peak at, with my career. Um, so he said his words were like, what do you have to lose? Just come meet our team. Like, that's all he said. And for me, I, I thought, well, yeah, I have nothing to lose. I have time. Let's go. Um, so then that is where I was introduced to the career of a financial advisor. Um, I learned about the licensing that I had to get to become an advisor and thought, OK, um, I work hard and anything that I do, like, I know I'll, I'll do it. I'll do the work. I just got to figure out if I like it or if it even makes sense for me. Um, so as I was studying, the topic of life insurance came up and it was very sensitive at the time because I had just experienced those deaths in my family. And my family had briefly said those words, life insurance, but like briefly, no one really knew what, how it worked, what it was. No one had it. So when all of those deaths in our family occurred. We were pretty much like emptying our savings to give everyone a proper funeral. Learning about that was like, oh my God, is this a sign? Like, how is it that I, I had just experienced that and now like I'm reading about life insurance and like financial planning, um, also retirement planning um, and learning what that is. I'm, at the time, I'm thinking of my mom who like emptied her 401k to buy her first house, never created another 401k plan again. Like I, I for me, I was like, I meant to be here right now. I'm just going to figure this out, get my family straight. And then I like I'm out. Right. So. Um, I ended up trying it out and I got my licensing, um, said I would do it for a year and, um, through that year became in demand. Like I learned that no one, no advisor was in my market. Um, the, I, I learned about the lack of education in, in financial planning. Um, and because of that need, well, my fulfillment came right. The one I was looking for, where I was like, Dang, I'm in my community. I have a purpose now. Like, this feels good. And then I became obsessed because I wanted to be that resource. I I want and know my stuff that I became more into. Like, okay, why is there lack of education? What does this mean to you know our communities? What like it, it became more of um, me and my character. It was no longer a job or a career. Now for me, it's like a calling. As I'm getting older. And, you know, my parents are getting older. I think about it and I now I have a child. I'm like, I need to get my 
finances in order. And I guess what is uh, I guess what what is your advice to like those like young professionals that are hesitant about getting financial advisors? Because I know a lot of times uh, we get calls and they're just like I don't know a lot of times just like awkward dudes like pros. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that are just trying like that are calling but like what is your advice to those young professionals that are like hesitant on, on getting financial advisors or, or what's the benefits yeah a few things so um for one i i feel like those that are hesitant it's because it's uncomfortable and it's uncomfortable because it's new like all of it is new. Our parents probably didn't do it or the young professionals don't have parents that have an advisor. Those that have advisors at a young age are probably using their grandparents' advisor. Like it's normal. But for some of us, it's it's brand new. So that's why it's uncomfortable. Um, and because it's brand new, many think that they have to have a lot of wealth, make a lot of money, you know, or be like, rich to like have an advisor it's it's a luxury right it's like it sounds like a privilege and it is um but you really don't right you you don't have to be rich the the like uh earlier you are in your career when you meet with an advisor the better off you'll be later it's like preventative care so I'd say like rip off that bandaid and get rid of that fear and think like, what do you have to lose? Just like me, where I didn't want to sit with the team and meet, you know, um, the the team at my company to begin this career. I had to tell myself like, yeah, what am I scared of? Like, <laughs> you're not giving up your money yet. You're not signing up for anything. You're just sitting down to have a conversation with someone. Um, so I say do it sooner rather than later. And then lastly, um, you brought up, you know, some people are just awkward and not a fit. Um, shop around just like you're picky with, you know, maybe the the doctor that you work with or um, I don't know, a lawyer that you pick or the bank you use. Like look for where you feel comfortable and that person's going to be a fit for you because your advisor is supposed to be someone that grows old with you. Um, that's someone you want to meet with and not feel intimidated by or you know feel okay sharing your fine your finances with um so if someone's just doesn't feel right then don't work with them and, and look for for someone else um i know people that specifically want to work with the woman you know ladies a lot of ladies i work with we're specifically looking for a female advisor there's some that want to work with someone older <laughs> who doesn't look as young as me. Okay, sure. You know, like, I think it's all about like, well, where do you feel like there, there's a fit? And if they're not a fit, don't feel like you have to work with them. I know one of the conversations you typically would have is uh, about student loans, right? And I think that's honestly some of the most uncomfortable things I've ever had to discuss in general, just because of the amount. And you're like, oh, why did I, you know, why did I take this as much out and so on? Um, I guess, how do you typically handle that conversation when it's like very uncomfortable and, you know, because it, it's better to be honest, right? In that moment, just be like, hey, this is where it's at. But I guess, how do you go about uh, handling that conversation when it arises? I am oftentimes will say like, yep, I got them too. I got them too, because that's what got me the degree that got me to where I'm at today. You know, there's surgeons 
in six figures student debt drowning, you know, and that surgeon's making six figures. Like, um, so I think just relating um, definitely helps. And then we, we untangle that. I want to use this time to also just educate people and, and, you know, clarify the role of a financial advisor. So can you get more specific about your specific role uh, in advising someone? Um, let's start there. Yes. So the goal as a financial advisor is to help whoever's in front of me reach a financial plan and have like financial security. That's the ultimate goal. Um, It's long-term planning and making sure that someone feels like they're stable, not now, you know, in the future. Um, We mainly focus on three main parts. So the first part is risk, risk management. So just making sure we're protecting our assets that we have today and in the future. That includes things like life insurance, right? That includes things like paycheck protection or disability insurance. Um, even planning for long-term care needs. People are living longer. They don't think about the care they're going to need post-retirement. So just at least having those conversations and like educating people on what's out there. The other piece is wealth accumulation or strategizing ways to save in smart ways. You know, putting your money to work, whether you're a risk taker or you're not a risk taker, you know, figuring out what products are out there, that what tools have been out there forever, we just don't know about, right? What are the tools that people have been leveraging to build wealth that maybe we just don't know about? Um, so fo- focusing on that, and usually I do that around like people's goals, timelines, and like how much they're, they can save now versus later. And then the last piece that I focus on is retirement planning. Um, So not just getting people to retirement, but getting them through retirement where they're not outliving their savings and ultimately leaving a legacy. Like we, I want my clients to be in position where like they were so good that there was money left over after they passed away that now is trickling to other generations. And that's where generational wealth begins, right? That's where that cycle starts. Um, So those, that's like big picture, but everyone's picture is different. Everybody has a different situation, a different family structure, um, different a different age and where they're at in their career. So um, to, to check all those boxes, first I learn about people and figure out, you know, what are your goals? Forget money. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I want to have this much in the bank and pay off this much in credit card debt. And it's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, forget the numbers. You know, let's figure out why like why why are you making money why do you want to save you know what what about having an emergency fund is going to make you feel good i try to get like behind the psychology because that's what's going to motivate my clients later on to do what i tell them to do um so i I learn about that then i tell them they're going to get a little financially naked in front of me you know i i I say it off the bat like yeah it's going to (laughs) be uncomfortable but Do you want me to help you or, you know, like we're going to get financially naked um, and that allows me to put a plan together. So my um, my recommendations, I usually will focus on what I recommend implementing now versus in five years, 10 years, you know, what what makes sense to do now. Um, and then I mentioned um, that my planning is usually education focused. I really want people to leave like they feel like they learned something or they feel equipped now to be smarter with their financial choices. One one thing that I want to make clear is that um, everyone needs to solve for their mortality risk, meaning we're, we're all going to die. Death is certain. And so 
one key component of solving for that risk is life insurance. And so can you talk to us a little bit about the importance of life insurance? Yeah. So, I mean, I said it at the beginning, you know, I had three deaths in my family. No one had life insurance or knew what it was. Um, and as a result, we had to empty out our savings to just give them a proper burial or funeral service alone. Um, people, what they don't think about outside of, you know, proper a proper funeral or burial service is everything else that life insurance can do for a family. Um, for example, it can cover any remaining debt. It can put children through school for free. It can pretty much give, you know, a loved one time to mourn and not feel obligated to go back to work right away to put bread on the table. Um, it can do so much. Um, it can keep someone's plan for retirement a plan. You know, it, it keeps a significant other um, able to live the life that you plan with your partner. Um, life insurance can do so much and it pretty much it stands in place for what you don't have. So like people say, oh, I don't, I don't need it. There's like money in the bank. And it's like, okay, you know, if you have a million dollars in the bank, then yeah, you probably don't need life insurance. But life insurance is like the asset that you don't have yet. Like it, it stands and you pay for it so that it replaces what you can't replace, you know, while, while you're here. And so um, that's, why life insurance is so important. It's because it can do so much if something were to happen to you. Um, and it's also what has started a lot of um, generational wealth. I'll say that again, like it's those that are very wealthy. Um, sometimes that starts with an inheritance from a life insurance policy. Um, so life insurance can do so much. It, and it's so important because it takes away the burden of your loved ones if you were to if something were to happen to you and you don't have what life insurance can can do for you you know set aside or put somewhere as an asset so there are at least uh at least two different types of life insurance that i'm aware of one would be term life and the other would be whole life insurance that i'm aware of obviously you know you probably know more um how do you sort of figure out what to recommend to your clients yeah, those are the main two types. Um, and I always position it as like renting a house versus owning. Everybody wants to own, right? If you have a choice, you'd rather own your house. Um, but um, term is usually cheaper. Um, so a lot of, it depends on someone's budget. So a lot of um, people with, say, like little ones who just want to lock in a lot of coverage because they have a lot of liabilities right now and they have little ones that depend on them. Um, term insurance might be a good option because it's very economical. You can get a lot of coverage for very little bit. Um, sometimes it's less than a Netflix subscription in terms of cost. Um, and the obvious is it's it's for a set term. So permanent or whole life is like owning a home um, because like owning a home, you build equity, a whole life or permanent uh, policy has a cash value that builds in there. So for many, it becomes um, like a two for one. It's a saving strategy. Uh, with cash value that you can use while you're alive. Um, and if you don't use it, it's extra um, money that your loved ones inherit. Um, but then it's also forever. And the benefit that you apply for grows as well. Um, but it is more of a luxury to have because it's a little more expensive. Um, if it's within the budget, I 100% recommend it because uh, term policies will 
like I said, like you're you're putting into it just in case if you outlive it, you never see that money again. Um, so I think it's more worth, you know, if you're going to contribute to something, do something that you can benefit from while you're alive as well um, or upgrade to it later if you lock in a term policy first. So um, there's a lot of like different factors, um, but just think like term is like renting, you know, temporary, cheaper. Um, you get it for what it's for, permanent, a little more expensive, but it's forever. And you're actually building an additional uh, perk in that type of policy. And permanent and whole life are the same, the same, so that people don't get confused. I guess if I'm, if I'm a young professional, I'm making 70K, right? Why the hell would I need a financial advisor or, or life insurance for that matter? Why would you, why would you recommend I get that if I'm not making like six figures and you know my life isn't as luxurious. Why would why would uh I guess why would why would you say you you still need a financial advisor just for yeah. like the common person, you know? So for the advisor piece, if you are like an awesome investor in like the market and other things, if you are great at budgeting, you're great at saving, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty much your own advisor and you can go into the market and like buy your own shares of stock and um, create your own portfolios. Like you don't need an advisor, you know, like you have yourself, you're well-educated, you're well-prepared. An advisor helps those that where they don't want to bother with that stuff. Right. So like if someone comes to me and they're like, I want to invest, but I don't like want to get into it or learn about it. I just want someone to do it for me. That's where an advisor plays a role, right? Helping you. Okay. Where, depending on your goals, what do you want to save for? Here's some ideas. Um, do you have a 401k? Do you need help making sure that that lasts forever and you don't mm -hmm. run out of your savings because of market downturns? You know, um, that's, that's where an advisor um, plays a role. So not, not everyone needs an advisor, um, most do because of the lack of financial literacy. Mm -hmm. um, it just depends on, you know, who you are. And then also you might need an advisor for some things, but not others. Life insurance, what you pay is based on your age and health when you get it. Locking it in early, for one, you'll save money because the younger you are and healthier, you're, the cheaper it is. So locking it in now because you'll need it later is you protecting your future assets. Um, also, there are a lot of stories where um, people wait and um, by the time they want insurance, they're now 50 pounds heavier or have been diagnosed with a chronic illness that was hereditary or, um, you know, they unfortunately were diagnosed with cancer and um, don't have it anymore. But guess what? That makes you uninsurable now because of your past history. Um, so that's another reason why when you're young, healthy and can afford it, lock it in. As long as you know, like you have plans to have a family, you have assets that you want to hold on to. So like a, say a house with the mortgage, if you pass before the mortgage is paid off, you know, your mom doesn't get the house, the, the bank's going to take it because it's not paid off yet. Or your mom's going to have to find a way to pay it off, you know? So, um, if you have things that you're trying to ensure, like that it's it's inherited, uh, life insurance can do that for you. If you're like, yep, I don't care who pays for my funeral, I'll be gone. I have no plans to have a family ever or anything like that. I can't convince you to get life insurance, but 
it's kind of crappy as a person because you are going to be somebody's burden. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I've met with people like that, unfortunately, probably only two since I've been in the career that are that that are like that. And I can't convince them we have different values. Now I don't even want to work with them because our values don't align. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, I've had people say like, I'll be gone. Why do I care? Like, I'll, whoever can figure it out. It's not my problem anymore. It's like, Sheesh. damn, okay, that's you being a <laughs> shitty person. But yeah, you don't need insurance then. Cool. Yeah. I think one of the one of the best things you said was, you know, shop around for a financial advisor. And I think one of the disconnects sometimes is when you just go to the first person and they're offering you solutions and advice that doesn't really match uh, what your actual needs are, or they're not listening to some of what your concerns actually are. And so shopping around is how you sort of uh, hedge against that, I would say. So I think I think everything you're saying is spot on because you're right, Tone. You might not need her to help you put money into the in an index fund, right? But that doesn't mean that she can't help advise you on uh, the risk products that would make sense for what's going on in your life. So, I mean, that's spot on. I guess coming from where we come from, like a lot of us first gen low income kids, I mean, our parents live check to check. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think even us starting this podcast, the you know, one of the things we talked about is just selling the long term. Right. Like the you know, in 10 years, you'll be a lawyer to this kid who, you know, grew up in poverty. And I guess, how do you, I guess, when you're, when you're speaking to, you know, low income, first gen kids um, who are now young professionals, how do you sell them the same way? Because I mean, even for myself, I, I'm very hesitant to make large investments because I'm like, you know, what if, COVID happens or something. Now you got, and I get laid off and I don't have a job, you know, because I remember what it's like to have nothing, right? I remember what it's like to not have food and stuff like that. And those real fears that, you know, we've experienced. How do you go about selling, you know, that long-term, I guess, gain um, or success, um, at, you know, when you're advising? Yeah. Um, I I think that's where my process with people comes in so like starting the conversation with like what are your goals so that i can tie you know my recommendations to those goals i'll ask like do you want to do you want a retirement you know do you know why some people never retire and work their whole lives like do you want different just kind of like honing into that and then i think the education falls in the middle of that um like i mentioned like education is super important and making sure someone understands what they're doing because if they don't understand it, they're not gonna do it. I also mm -hmm. figure out amounts that we can start with that doesn't keep someone up at night. Like as an investment should not be a bill that comes to mind at night. It should be like something that someone gets excited about because they know, you know, that's going to be what, what changes the game in five years or what their kids will get to use for college um, because we had to depend on like financial aid. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's, it takes longer like I have way more meetings than, uh, you know, your typical advisor who meets with clients that have come from generations of advisors with their families working with advisors, um, you know, that, that understand it. I take I have my meetings are I have way more meetings with one person and um, it takes more time because these are tools that have existed forever. They're just brand new to the most people that I'm meeting with. 
Um, and so I, I'm pretty, I'm starting from scratch. I'm like basically explaining the internet to someone that doesn't know what the internet is. You know, that's it's, crazy, like, yeah. it's really like saying, yeah, that's, that's where we start. And if someone's not comfortable, I just stay in touch with them. It's like, yep, I get it. I understand. Like sometimes I'm still pulling my mom's teeth about stuff, you know, and it's, she like, trust me, I'm her daughter. Like she's one of my first clients, but it's just unfamiliar to her. You know, she still comes from um, those that taboo that came from like corrupt governments in Mexico, um, Argentina, for example, I learned like their banks used to just keep people's money and like act like they didn't have it. Like there's our, our ancestors come from like corrupt freaking systems that has caused this fear and this these taboos about trusting financial institutions with the stuff we worked hard for. Um, and that's a whole nother topic I can dive into, but yeah. it's it's a thing. It's just uncomfortable. So we listened to, or at least I, li I know Larry sent it to me, but I listened to the Shakers interview you did. <laughs> yeah. Forever ago, what, two years ago? With Bob. And, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know. I don't even know where that place is, honestly. I can't think. I can't <laughs> vision it. But like the whole haunted thing, I was like, what? Um, but... <laughs> One thing I one thing that you said that I thought was pretty profound is that um you were talking about your work and you were like you had this bodybuilder analogy where you were like you know bodybuilders are walking billboards right like hey I work out you can see I work out like you know trust me this is what you should do this is how you should, you should lift and you were basically explaining like you can't do that in your profession like you have to kind of trust you and like trust your advice and things like that. And I guess the one thing I thought of is that all of us, right? If you if you think about like a, a young lawyer, right? Like I doubt a black dude with a nose ring and a beard comes up or a dark skinned dude, you know what I'm saying, taller, looks like he could be in the league. You know what I'm saying? Like, like or a Latina woman, right? Like I doubt these things come to mind. How do you deal with that when you're like talking to like an older white dude or or whatever, or dealing with older white dudes, like, you know, no knock on older white dudes, but like, you know, how do you deal with that? It's um, white males for sure. <laughs> uh, so women are also underrepresented. Um, I think it's more just knowing that I've done the work and I'm constantly educating myself. I just earned my um, my retirement um, profession nation. Um, why did I get that? Well, because of how I look, I feel like I have to get those credentials to back me up and prove that I know my stuff. Like we talked about shopping for advisors. I know I'm not for everyone. Not everyone's going to want to work for, with me and that's okay. I get it. Um, I don't want to work with someone that doesn't trust me either. Um, so I think just me telling myself that like, okay, I'm going to control the controllable, um, share what I know. And if it's not enough, then sorry. You know, I tried my best and just knowing I, I gave you know, someone, the, the, the choice, it feels good. Um, continuously getting those credentials, I guess, to prove myself, because again, that imposter syndrome is still there. Um, and then also, I guess my, most of my clientele is all referral based. Um, and I feel like that's how I've grown is just like, hey, send me your friends, your family, your coworkers, um, tell them about your experience. I asked them, you know, was this helpful? Is there anything else I can do? Um, and just that's how I've been building the trust is like, hey, share your experience and 
when they refer someone and someone meets with me, I know like, okay, cool. Like they, they heard good things. I treat everybody the same. Um, and I'm just, I'm just me because I do believe that those that want to work with me will show up and like work with me and, and not against me. And those that don't will like walk themselves to the door. Um, and I think that's in every industry, right? Like, like you said, probably in your industry too, like not everyone's going to hire you. You know, that's, that's on them. That's their prejudgment. That's fine. Um, but I know that there's some people that want to work with someone with me because of how I look or because I have tattoos and I don't hide them anymore or because I speak Spanish. <laughs> and, and to them, that's like the most valuable thing I can offer is explaining retirement in their language. Um, yeah, but imposter syndrome is still real. It shows up a lot. <laughs> no, but you know, you notice at that moment, like when you're like, yo, I'm gonna show my tattoos or I'm gonna talk this way. Like there's a there's a sense of like validation for yourself, right? Like you're pushing mm -hmm. yourself to get all these degrees and get all these certifications. And but I think to me the best one is the one where you're like, nah, like this is good enough. Whatever I am today is what's what's gonna come across. And however however it goes, however it goes, you know, just kind of releasing that. Yeah, to be honest, I feel like I have to prove myself more internally, like within my industry, than with the public. Mm -hmm. You know, like they see young, like it's a big, there's a big turnover um, in the financial advisor world. It's not for everyone. It's a hard career. You have to constantly get like all these licensing um, things done and like you have to meet metrics and stuff. It's it's hard. I mean, you're building your own book of business. Um and so I feel like those that have been around longer that are like older and white, like they kind of look at me as just another, you know, person trying this or another, you know, young one, young girl, you know, just, just trying this. And so I, I do sometimes feel like internally I'm constantly having to say like, oh yeah, I got that designation too. Oh yeah. I was top, uh, my first year I hit a metric only if top 5% of the company hits where they um, get a hundred um clients basically um you know i i was one of two on the screen that year that did it but i i felt like i constantly have to prove myself so that i can be like okay i'm going to the gala and i'm showing my tattoos i'm just like you i have you know i'm serving my clients just like you so now i'm gonna be who i i want to be um but it it was work <laughs> <laughs> So I was, I was on your LinkedIn and I noticed that you received an honor that said, you know, 100 lives impacted. Uh, can you just talk to us a little bit about what it means to have your work sort of directly translate into um, helping people achieve financial security? Good. I feel needed. <laughs> I feel needed and um, useful because, you know, before I just felt like I put in work and, and gain knowledge and I had nowhere to, to share it. Um, so now just being able to provide the education, um, especially for free, really, you know, like um, it feels really good. And I mean, I do, I dread the day that I know it will happen because I offer life insurance, but I do dread the day that, you know, a claim comes in. I have work with the family, um, who was, they weren't clients yet, but now they are clients. 
Um, and they reached out because I've known them for years and they knew the field that was in, they knew my job. Um, and, uh, the, the dad passed and, um, the dad had policies set up, not through me, but like had them a long time ago. They just had no idea what to do or to start, you know, obviously wife and kids are a mess. Um, and I was able to help them. Like I knew exactly what they had to do, how it worked. I made the calls to help them out. Um, and yeah, needless to say they're clients now. Um, but I was the one that like stepped up and like did that for them when they're cloudy minded at the time. I mean, I remember going to the funeral and um, the mom hugged me and she's like, you're like an angel. And for someone to say that, that's crazy, right? Like for mm-hmm. someone, that was a lot of pressure. Um, I, it was early in my career. I remember getting in my car that day after the funeral and I was like ugly crying. I called my mentor. <laughs> I freaked out. I was like, I can't do this. This is too much of a responsibility. Like, this is a lot. They're not even my clients, but this lady just called me her angel. Like, I was like, what? Um, and then he said, the, the, one of the first words he said is, um, said was, um, this is exactly why you're doing this. This is exactly why you're here. They called you for a reason. And that's all I had to hear. I was like, yep, you're right. And so um, I think that's the best example I can give to answer that question. It's like, well, how does it feel? to build these financial plans for people. It's like, it's awesome because I, it's a lot of pressure, of course, a lot of responsibility, but I'm, I'm also needed and that feels good. One thing that uh, we came across is that you're very committed to service. Like I, I, I know you, I know you used to do work or you still do work at the UCC, which is um, like a, a very predominant respected uh, uh, community building. I know on the South side, um, and just if you could just walk us through like uh, why volunteer work is so important to you um, and to what are the organizations you are still volunteering at? Um, and most of the programs that I volunteer with, for the most part, have some type of like mentorship, um, you know, uh, purpose behind it. And I think the reason I get so passionate about those things is because the mentors, the small amount of mentors that I had um, played a big role in my life, especially the one from Upper Bound, who's the reason I even went to Marquette and I'm where I am today. Um, and I know the, the importance of that. And so if I can do that to somebody else, for me, it's, you know, it's, it's great. Like, I, I feel really good being able to do that because I know it's how needed it is and how much of a difference I can make. I also recently joined Special Spaces, uh, where they're a nonprofit that um, remodels um, rooms for kids with cancer. We give them like their dream room. Um, It's fun. Um, And I pretty much just like try to participate in what, um, where I'm not overcommitting to and just like burning out, but where I can. And again, I think it just goes back to like, Uh, the opportunities I was given, I feel like have put me in a position where now it's my responsibility to pour back in and and give back because I know how important that is. And um, there were those people that did it for me uh, in different programs that I participated in in growing up. So um, yeah, I, I think it's important and it's part of life too. You know, life's not about just working and, um, you know, paying bills and and doing what's in our self-interest. I think a big piece of life too is like 
being kind, just being a kind human and pouring wherever you can uh, pour into and helping where you can, especially if you're in a position of abundance. You know, I mm -hmm. have more than I've ever dreamed of. Um, I am in, a, I have abundance in, in many different areas of my life. And so if I can pour into other spaces, I will. Fire. You know, you're in a commission-based business that's been uh, predominantly dominated by, by white men, right? And so I guess I'm wondering, uh, do you have a mantra or anything that, that keeps you going? Para todo sale. So my mom's always said that, like, um, para todo sale. I guess it translates to, like, um, everything falls into place. Like, there's always, like, a way. So, like, if I ever worry about money, she would say, Ay, para todo sale. like, things always fall into place. And it, me following that, like, I'm yet to prove it wrong. Like, when I worry, things always work out. Like, things always, I, I, it's more like a faith thing, right? Like, having faith and knowing that, you know, if you do what you're supposed to do, work hard, like, um, things will fall into place as they should. So, para todo sale. Um so that's, I guess, my, been my mantra. I do think the commission-based, um, this being a commission-based role is why it's predominantly ruled by men versus women. Um, I do think it's a, it's a gender thing um, because of confidence, right? Like men are said to be a lot more confident than women, especially in a professional setting. There's books that say this too. Um, and there's, there's, um, been studies that say like men will just do something, you know, be trained, do something and figure it out later where women have to figure everything out now and then do. <laughs> and I think that's why, um, commission can be very scary for a lot of women. The reason that I, it was scary for me. And the reason I decided to try it is because of my mom, um, and her, having to by force just figure out how to make money doing different things when she could not through a normal standard nine to five that she could show up to monday through friday uh for me was my motivation so when you were telling the story about your mom and all i kept thinking about is all the sacrifice she made you know like to go from working like you said she came she came to america she had eight dollars right so she worked her whole life to give up working and then just take care of you for six years. I mean, that is one hell of a sacrifice. Um, but when you were speaking about, you know, graduating college, you were kind of, it was like, kind of like you were paying off a debt of sorts. Like you were like, hey mom, this is for you. Now nah, I'm free, you know? Not not free in the sense, but like you, you, I could tell you felt free. And I guess I wanted to know, is do you think there's, and this is something I think about too, but do you think you'll ever be able to like, I guess, pay back your parents for what they've like sacrificed? Do you think that's even tangible or something that is possible? I mean, that's a great question. Um, I couldn't do what she did. Like, there's no way I, I'm like pretty fearless, but not to that level where I, I'd leave a whole country and start over, you know, with, you know, and not knowing the like the main language, like not knowing any English, um, that's a gut. Um, but I do 
because I'm in my position now, um, I try to intentionally like take my mom out to eat at nice restaurants that I get to eat Mm. at because of work, you know, or um, we travel together and I try to cover as much as I can when we travel. Um, I'm forever, but because I feel that like I'm forever in debt, I don't feel like, okay, I'm done. Like, um, no, I paid my dues. No, I feel like I worked my butt to get here where now I can forever treat her. And like, you know, I try to pay as much as I can of her normal monthly expenses, um, little things where that I can do. She will work um, until she can anymore just because that's her personality. Uh, she doesn't have to work anymore. Mm. Um, she just chooses to, you know, and so she she's fine. She has three adult kids that got her back. Um, but I do with intention, like try to do as much so that I'm now like her caretaker. Like I'm now mm-hmm. taking care of her. So, you know, out of everything we've talked about today, uh, what's one thing that you would hope our listeners take away from the conversation in terms of uh, financial planning? In terms of financial planning, I'd say uh, find a financial advisor. <laughs> Sit with one. They're not all um, going to charge you a fee for sitting down with them. Um, Me, for example, I don't charge to put a plan together for someone or just have a conversation. Um, So I'd say like make an appointment, find your financial advisor that you want to talk to, make an appointment, figure out what they have to offer um, because there's always room for improvement. Even if you're killing it at life, like never stop learning and, you know, see what else you could do and see if there's any gaps in what you're doing right now. And if there's not, at least you had that second set of eyes from a professional to say like, yeah, you're doing great. Or, hey, like this is what else you can do to enhance um, your current situation. So um, financially speaking, everyone's situation is different. Um, figure out, you know, what yours is and find an advisor that can uh, complement that. You know, how can how can we support you? How can our listeners support you? Um, to my first point, right, like if you are shopping around for an advisor, um, Try to be intentional with finding someone who's black and brown, uh, black or brown, I should say, black and brown or brown. Um, And also, um, you know, I'm on social media, so I do try to share free knowledge. Um, Spread that. You know, there's no use of learning something and just keeping it to yourself, especially in our community. Um, So any knowledge that you learn from a podcast like this or maybe you you know, hear it on another podcast or learn from one of my posts or from another advisor's post, like share that knowledge. You just never know what type of impact you can have on someone. So that's how you help me is by spreading the word um, because there's only one of me. But if we can, if I can get um, my knowledge into other people and those voices um, spread, then I know it's hitting other minds. Um, And then also um, support uh, your local small business owners. I think that's huge. If we can keep the economy within our community, Mm -hmm. we're going to last longer. The businesses are going to continue no matter what. Um, And so it's not just about supporting me, but if you support your small businesses with the community and like say those owners are meeting with me, you're supporting me. (laughs) So um, let's keep people in business. You know, I I think that's that's a good spot really just to say, you know, this has been great and really just, Thank you so much for, you know, spending a couple hours with us to talk about your, um, you know, educational career journey and just some of the adversity that you have faced and overcome. Uh, Honestly, 
every time we do this, I, I learn so much about the person I, that I, I leave, I leave inspired. And so I really just want to say thank you. Uh, and I'm rooting for you, honestly. And if there's any way I can be a resource, uh, let me know. Thank you. No, I want to thank you two for even creating this platform. Like I said, I've been rooting for you guys since this podcast came out. I mean, before that, too, of course, I had your backs. I, I was watching on social media um, the successes that you two were having, uh, your fathers, um, your husbands. Like, I, I'm really happy to see, you know, where you've gone in life. And I'm especially happy to see, like, there's platforms like this that you two are doing on top of all the other responsibilities I'm sure you have um, to just get knowledge out there and like have people like me have somewhere to share my story on. So um, this is dope. Thank you. I appreciate that. What you wanted to say was you were worried about us at Marquette. <laughs> <laughs> I, had my, I had my concerns yeah. only on a Friday night. <laughs>